Welcome back to another episode of Heaven and Healing Podcast. You can catch a live recording of the show over on YouTube where I stream every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Central Time. Go subscribe to my channel if you haven't already. It's Angela Ucci, Heaven and Healing Podcast, and be sure to ring the bell to be notified for live stream reminders and more. Whatever platform you're currently listening on, please give the show a five-star rating and written review to help get this into more people's ears. And please consider partnering with the ministry as Heaven and Healing is entirely crowdfunded. There are different options to support the show down in the episode description. Thank you so much for your continued support and prayers. Enjoy the episode and God bless. Let's get started. First, before I dive in, I do want to remind y'all to stick around till the end where we're going to do just a Q&A in the chat. Um, I have a couple announcements to make as well. So stay tuned for that. Thank you for the compliment on my card. Again, I appreciate it. I kind of feel like a uh, Sunday school teacher in this, but, you know, is this is like the last, you know, the last leg of pregnancy. So we're just wearing what fits at this point. <laughs> Um, I'm really excited about this conversation. This is the Spiritual Warfare series for Christians. This is part five, and it is the final installment of the series. I hope that you have enjoyed it so far. Let me know in the chat if you have seen uh, videos one through four and just how this past month of um, indulging in these topics has been fruitful for you, if at all. I pray that it has. I pray that it has been edifying and encouraging um, and enjoyable, of course, because that does matter too. All right. Well, um, I want to say, I want to give like a personal testimony of this series. Um, I mentioned before that the Spiritual Warfare series, this is something that's been on my heart for quite some time. Um, originally it was just going to be one episode, which is funny because now we are five deep this evening. Um, and <laughs> well, when I first started preparing for it, I knew it had to be a longer format just because of the content itself, right? Think about all the topics that we have delved into and how, how, how that would have been so, um, you know, not really doing it justice to just kind of condense all five of these topics into one video because each of these topics is so important and so crucial to really comprehend biblically and not just comprehend from an intellectual space but really you know believe within our heart and believe within our mind the bible says what is in our heart is what we will speak it's what we will believe so yeah, I just, um, you know, I wanted to do this for quite some time. I finally dove in and it's been really sanctifying for me. I've been taken through a lot of refinement, you know, because it's, it's not just that I'm sitting here talking about these things. Like these are things that I'm living and these are lessons that are not just valuable for you guys. They're valuable for me as well. You know, sanctification is a lifelong process. We will only be fully sanctified at the point of 
you know, heaven. Um, but that doesn't mean we can't live like we're saved right now. And that's really kind of been the entire thesis of the series, right? Is living like we're saved, really walking out the promises of God, walking by faith, not by sight. Like all these things that we hear in our Bibles, all these things that we know are in our Bibles, but do we just know that they're there or do we act like they're there? Do we demonstrate it? You know, are, are we are we producing the fruit that is the result of abiding in the vine, right? Because Jesus is the word made flesh after all. And so, yeah, it's been really sanctifying for me to move through this series. You know, it's kind of like the devil's like testing me to, to see if I'll put my money where my mouth is. So there's been a lot of attack over the past five weeks. I'm not going to lie, but it's really been an opportunity for me to to just demonstrate exactly what this series is is here to teach all of us, right? Just to demonstrate the gospel. And it's been awesome. I'm not going to lie. It's been awesome. I feel so close to the Lord right now. Like the intimacy has just deepened tenfold. And I'm going to kind of get into a little bit of that here in this particular installment of the series, just talking about intimacy with God and what that's looked like for me as of recent. Um, but yeah, it's just been awesome. So I pray it's been as awesome for you as it has been for me because, you know, like I said in the last episode about the armor of God, the attacks are always going to come. Like we're this side of eternity right now. Satan's time is running out, but it's not quite out yet. So he's going to keep trying. You know, he wants to come after the Christians. He already has the world. So he wants to come after the Christians, right? Um, and so, yeah, that's anyway. That's just kind of a little testimony of how I've been refined and how I've been sanctified through this series. And so that being said, let me just give a little bit of a feedback or a little recap rather. That's what happens when I try and read the chat at the same time as um, present the teaching. Um, let me give a little recap on parts one through four so far, just in case anyone has not um seen those videos yet and i know last week i did like a 15 minute recap so we're going to keep this at like five maybe three minutes we're going to try and just roll through the recap okay so repentance started with repentance the series started with repentance week one it was all about identity the focus was heavy on identity you know how the the popular narrative in the american church is basically that once we're a sinner, we're always a sinner. We're always going to struggle with sin, even though the Bible says something very differently about our identity. You know, the Bible says that we have been made completely dead to sin and that we're actually alive unto Christ, right? We're saints now. We are no longer sinners. And yet the American church continues to identify as a sinner. And so, of course, with that conversation, it came a deeper dive into some scripture, you know, that people like to use out of context in order to justify their their clinging identity to sin, right? Romans 7, 1 John, these things that are taken out of context to justify the struggle. Um, because it seems, you know, as, as by and large in the body of Christ, that we would rather struggle through life than just receive the finished work on the cross. And that's a problem. And, and it's grieving. It's grieving for, for me. And so I know it's grieving for the Lord because, you know, we'd rather just like maintain the right to stay where we are rather than receive the promise that we've been made new. And he didn't pay for that. Like he, he paid to make us new. We're bought with a price. Our bodies are no longer our own. 
And so to be clear with the repentance video, it wasn't about workspace salvation or anything for anyone that's just tuning in. It was nothing about how, you know, you can earn by your own effort, efforts or any hyperfixation on sin consciousness. On the contrary, the focus with part one was about acknowledging the truth that you, in fact, you know, will always sin and struggle apart from Jesus, right? Without his spirit. But because we have his Holy Spirit living inside of us, we're actually now empowered by the grace that saves us through faith to abide in the vine, to be set apart, and to yield to the Spirit. And scripture says the Spirit is always willing, even when our flesh is weak. So next we had forgiveness. And this video was about becoming love as he is love, right? How we all really have no right to take things personally in this life because we're supposed to actually love not our own life unto death. So how, how you know, we've been just bought at such a high price, like I said, and yet we cheapen it when we don't actually became what he paid for, when we don't embody who he is and forgive as we have been forgiven. Again, your Bible says that, we know that, but do we live that? So the message with forgiveness here, it was really heavy on dying to the self because not only is unforgiveness actually an open door to the enemy, it gives the enemy a foothold. What's worse than giving the enemy a foothold is to not bring glory to God. So unforgiveness brings no glory to God in any way, shape, or form because he didn't die on the cross for you to just get through life. He died so that we would reveal him in the midst of life. So with the topic of forgiveness, I talked about how Jesus told us to pick up our cross and follow him and how even though we read this in scripture and quote this scripture, we often do a very poor job of walking out this scripture because we'd rather be offended and be hurt than be transformed by the cross that he told us to follow him with. And so forgiveness is a crucial aspect of our walk as a believer because to forgive shows that we actually believe him. And then on the topic of belief, we moved straight into week three of mind renewal. I've said it a bunch of times, mind renewal is my favorite topic. Obviously that was all about Romans 12, 12, or Romans 12, two rather. The verse where it tells us to not be conformed by the ways of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds and what that really looks like as a believer, right? It means taking every thought that exalts itself above the word of God captive to Christ in obedience to say, Lord, I don't care how I feel. I don't care about these thoughts. I don't care about my circumstances. I don't care about what's going on around me. I don't care what I can see in the physical. I only care about your truth, Lord. That's what mind renewal is. Mind renewal is making the decision to walk by faith and not by sight. It's about seeing ourselves through the lens of what he has been through rather than what we are going through or what it is we have been through, right? Mind renewal is about not being conformed by our circumstances, by any circumstance of life. It's about living transformed by his life in us. So with mind renewal, it was really important to talk mostly about faith right? How faith is the cornerstone of our obedience to Christ, because when we genuinely believe him, that means we believe truth. And as the scripture says, it's the truth that sets us free. We're going to get into the truth, setting us free with a prayer and worship. Um, finishing up with the mind renewal, we talked about how mind renewal is the decision to abide in the spirit because it's by his spirit that it's possible for us to do that at all. We count every man a liar, including ourselves. And we just believe God. Because by believing God, we're submitting to God and in submitting to God, the devil will flee. And then last week was all about the armor of God. 
So obviously it's targeted toward the famous Ephesians 6 verse that talks about how we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And with this one, like all the others, really, and this, the one we're about to dive into included, all about faith. Everything's about faith because the armor of God is in a physical costume that's hanging up in our closet that we put on every morning and leave the house to go to work in, right? It's the armor of God is a state of mind. It's something that we put on in faith. And why? Because the purpose of armor is to keep the flesh from harm. So the armor of God is yet another aspect of spiritual warfare that calls for us to walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh, because if we truly wear the armor of God, then our flesh cannot be penetrated by the enemy. Our flesh actually cannot be indulged at all because we're not allowing it the option to be, because the armor is spiritual. The armor is faith. So when we are truly wearing the full armor of God, right? It's not just the scripture hanging up on our wall. It means that we no longer have that indulgence in the flesh at all. And it means that the works of darkness have no place in us or any way to infiltrate us in our flesh. So the armor of God was like an in-depth Bible study kind of episode. And I went through every single component of the armor like the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, and so forth, and explained in detail what each of those meant biblically. So that's the recap. I definitely recommend, if you haven't already, to go back and watch this series. Okay, take the time. It's important. And I'm not saying that as like a way to boast, like, oh, my teaching is superior. It's not about that at all. This is all about you, actually. This is about your walk of faith, because by making it about your faith, you're actually making it about believing God, which in turn is making it about God. So this series is all about God. And you know, that's why it's not doing as popular as some of my other videos, right? Everyone wants to tune in for my, my kind of clickbait astrology is demonic video or like exposing this, exposing that, how to cast out a demon. Like everyone wants to be fed there, but when it comes to our own personal responsibility, people don't wanna indulge in that. And when I say personal responsibility, I don't mean works of our flesh, right? It, scripture is abundantly clear that we cannot do this stuff on our own. It's not by our own strength. And that's the thing. It's about our belief. It's about our faith. I have said that through and through in every part of this series, that this is about faith. That is how the spiritual battle is won, through our faith. It is our faith that makes us whole. It's our faith that has healed us. It's our faith that makes us well. That's why Jesus, throughout the Gospels, repeatedly puts an emphasis on the faith of the person he's ministering to, the person he's healing, casting a demon out of, whatever it is. He doesn't just say, I'm the son of God. Excellent. He says, your faith has made you whole. Our faith matters to the Lord. And so definitely go back and watch the series if you haven't already. Each video is about an hour, hour and a half long and just loaded with information that I genuinely pray will be edifying for you on your walk. And each one of these videos kind of bleeds into the next. Those of you that have been following it can attest to that. That's why it's a series. Um, I actually made a spiritual warfare playlist that's available on the channel for just for your convenience. So you can find all the live streams under the live tab, but this particular series is under its own playlist now. So it's easily accessible for all of you. Um, now, 
let's move into it. Okay, I always do like the 15 minute intros, but I digress. Here we are in the final week of the series. It's week five. It's all about prayer and worship. And if you couldn't guess already, guess what it's really centered on? Faith. Because <laughs> as I've said, faith is our primary weapon in spiritual warfare. The enemy is always trying to steal, kill, and destroy our faith. Right? He always wants to steal, kill, and destroy our faith because when we demonstrate any lack of faith, even the most minute demonstration of lack of faith in the totality of the gospel, what it does is it creates an agreement with the enemy because it's it's indicative of this little tiny seed of unbelief that says, I don't trust you, God. I trust my circumstance. I trust my feelings. I trust what's going on around me. I don't, I don't, I trust the attack. I don't trust your promise. It's that little tiny entryway, that little access point that he uses, that the enemy uses to infiltrate, to steal, kill, and destroy our faith. Because once he has the, the, the snowflake, he creates the snowman. That was a weird analogy. Um, but my point is, any agreement with the enemy allows him entry into our lives. Okay? Any agreement. And... That makes us susceptible to, you know, not just attacks in our personal life, but what it does is, is, it, is it produces bad fruit within us, which makes us a bad witness of the gospel, which is really the problem. Because if we aren't producing fruit, how are they going to know us when the Bible says they're going to know you by your fruit? We have to abide in the vine at all times. The vine is Christ. Christ is the word made flesh. So we have to know his word is true. We have to believe his word is true in order to believe him and to believe his promise and to thus walk in that promise and to thus produce the fruit that they are going to know us by. And when they see him in us, they see who he is, right? You can't just be a Christian by, by your mouth. You have to be a Christian by your actions, by your responses, it's one thing to tell someone, I believe in God, he's changed my life, you know, Jesus made me a brand new person. It's another thing to actually live as a brand new person that Jesus made you into. And it all ultimately comes back to our faith. It all comes back to our faith. And I've explained it a bunch of times throughout the series. I don't want to beat a dead horse with the point, but I also want you to really get it. Like, I really want you to get that it's faith. It's your faith. And I've said this before that in the body of Christ, you get kind of like attacked for saying that, right? I I've experienced it. Oh, you're saying I don't have enough faith? Just because I'm challenging you to examine your faith doesn't mean I'm doubting your relationship to God. Do you, you know, there there's a big difference there challenging you to examine your faith, to examine your belief, to examine your heart posture is not me saying you're not saved, right? It's examining the fruit of your life that you should actually take a look at and, and take inventory and take stock in as well, because that, that should be something that matters to you, right? 
because of what the Bible says, they will know us by our fruit. The Bible says if we abide in God, we abide in love. Okay, so if our life is producing anything less than love, that's something to examine, y'all. And it's comes, it comes from faith. It comes from faith. And people want to say, you can't say that it's a faith thing. You can't gas. It's not gaslighting people. It's not making anyone feel inferior. It's just simply not making it about our feelings. You know, we live in a world that's all about feelings all the time. That's what the devil does. That's what the devil wants us to focus on is our feelings. God wants us to focus on him. Cross over circumstance, faith over feelings. It's not insensitive. It's not mean. It's actually just an expression of love because all I want to do is encourage you to just believe him and to walk in that belief. Like we, we complicate it with this like intellectualization of the gospel with all of our theology, all the things we want to argue about online. Is it works? Is it not? Can you lose your salvation? Can you not? When the Bible just says to be love. I mean, it, it's really simple. It's childlike faith. Jesus emphasizes the childlike faith. Children just believe. They just believe and they receive. Oh no, did she say believe and receive? Yeah, I, I said that, right? Because that's something else that I've talked about in the series, how the new age, all those new age teachings, right? They are counterfeits of actually what the Bible says. So we get all wrapped up in this in this dialogue of how the new age is a counterfeit and they're doing all these things and power of mind. And we just completely just guard, trash the fact that the devil steals from God, that all of these things actually belong to God. They're just perverted in the new age. Okay, so it's not new age teaching through a biblical framework. It's the biblical framework that the new age stole from. And that has been a massive revelation for me over the past like four to six months because, boy, the devil doesn't want you to know that he doesn't create his power. He doesn't want you to know that he stole from God. Or, you know, he's actually okay, even if you think it's a counterfeit, as long as you don't know the true authentic, which is what your gospel is. Your Bible is all about the authentic. Faith matters. So go back and watch part one through four if you haven't already that being said um prayer and worship let's get into it right all right like the video again if you haven't already please and share this to your instagram story take pictures videos screenshots all of the things as we're going through this post it to your story later and tag me and i would love to just thank you for that and share it to my story so prayer and worship there are things that we're going to be addressing in this episode why do we pray what is the purpose of prayer? How do we pray? What, you know, kind of within the tier of prayer, communion and fasting and praying for others. We'll talk about then as the sister topic to worship, why worship is warfare and what is really acceptable worship. Um, and uh, then I'll just finish up. I'll close out with a summary basically of the, of the series as a whole, leave you with some words of encouragement, close out with prayer 
and um, we'll hang out in the live chat Q&A at the end. That sounds good to all y'all. So I'm going to take a sip of water. Someone said in the chat, victimization is the devil's playground. That's amazing. All right. So prayer. Let's start with why we pray, what the purpose of prayer is, and how we pray. Okay. Which is sort of going to bring us simultaneously into what prayer is not. If we're talking about what prayer is, then we kind of have to talk about what prayer isn't, right? And so if we're going to talk about what prayer isn't, then we should thus talk about how we should refrain from praying. And so I think that that is best described in Philippians 4. Let me bring that up on the screen. All right, perfect. It's there. <laughs> Philippians 4 verses 4 through 9 say, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Okay, so prayer is, according to Philippians, prayer is rejoice, prayer is non-anxious, prayer is supplication, which can be best defined as humility, you know, being humble, prayer is thanksgiving, prayer is peace, prayer guarantees guarded hearts and guarded minds, prayer is the meditation of truth, honorability, just what is just what is pure what is lovely commendable and so forth what is excellent and finally prayer is peace so in these scriptures we are promised that the peace of god which surpasses all understanding again that's another walk by faith not by sight because understanding is sight so we're promised that the peace of god that surpasses all understanding in faith will indeed guard our hearts and our minds where in christ jesus we are told to think only about the things of god we are told only to think about the things of god to literally not be anxious because the lord is always at hand and we are told to be thankful when we pray. We're told to be thankful when we make our requests known. So I just want to ask you something, y'all, in the chat. And just be honest, okay? I'll raise my hand and I'll be the first to admit my prayer life hasn't always looked like that. Has yours? Is your prayer always full of thanksgiving? Is it always full of humility and supplication? Is it always rejoice? Is it always be not anxious? 
Or have there been times when you've come to the Lord with a heart full of anxiety, with a list of complaints, where you're not grateful, where you're asking him, why is this happening to me? Why are you letting this happen to me? Get me out of this. Why won't you help me? Why aren't you listening? Why aren't you answering? Has your prayer life ever looked like that? You can be honest. Because the description here in Philippians sounds a lot different, y'all. The description in Philippians sounds a lot different than constantly coming to God with a list of complaints. Doesn't it? Sounds a lot different than coming to God with a list of complaints. And yes, it says we can make our requests known to God. But listen, requests are different than demands. Requests are different than complaints. Requests are different than why are you letting this happen to me? Where are you? Don't you see? Can I have? When am I going to get a break? Why, why, why? Right? Requests are different than selfish motives. Don't get into this habit. And I'm guilty of it too. And I will talk about how my prayer life has changed and how that has changed the outcome of my prayers in a moment. But I want to be vulnerable with y'all too, right? This isn't a holier than thou thing. And I just want to say in love, just as I've learned this, just as the scripture says, right? Don't get in this habit of treating God like he's a server at a restaurant. And I say that as someone that was a server, right? I, what do we what do we do of servers? We expect them to bring us things. We get annoyed if they walk by the table when we ask for ranch, right? We expect of them to provide us a service. So don't get in this habit of treating God like he's a server or like he's a genie in the sky that you're just coming to when you need something, right? Are you only ever going to God? Are you only making time for him when you need something from him? Or are you making time for him because you desire intimacy with him? Because there's a huge, huge difference. And what's really crucial for us to address here with our prayer life is our attitude, our motive, our purpose, and our expression with the prayer. Okay, so just some things to just take inventory on in your prayer life. How is your attitude upon the prayer? What is your motive of the prayer? What is your purpose in the prayer? And what is your expression because of the prayer? Because according to Philippians, right? This isn't me saying this. According to Philippians, the attitude should be rejoiceful, right? The motive should be thankfulness. The purpose should be the peace of God and the expression should be honorable, commendable, true, pure, lovely, free of anxiety, right? All of the things that Philippians stated above in scripture. And again, how often are we guilty of doing the complete opposite of all of those things? It's just something to check your heart on right now. You know, Think about, for instance, your work life, you know, your boss, things that you've prayed for. What, what do those prayers look like? 
God, please don't let my boss rail on me today. I don't want I don't want this from my office. I don't want that from my staff. Please don't let them do this to me. Please don't let them treat me this way. Please protect me from this. Please protect me from them. Please, their, their attitude is exhausting me. I feel so beaten. I feel discouraged. Versus, Lord, thank you that there is tribulation in the workspace today because it gives me an opportunity to abide in you. It gives me an opportunity, this tribulation in my workspace, this this strife from my boss, it gives me an opportunity to show them who you are through my response. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this opportunity that you have entrusted me with to simply be love as you are love, to walk in light as you are light, even though they're in the darkness. And you know what, Lord, I know that they're in the darkness. And so I pray that you would give me more opportunities to shine on your behalf so that they can see your light. Like, what if we prayed like that? Or for your spouse, right? How often, and again, I'm guilty of this. I've done this. Lord, make him better, make him better, make him better, make him more like you. There was one time over the summer I was at a conference and I was praying to God. I said, Lord, make my husband more like you. And I heard very clearly responding back to me. Why don't you ever pray that for yourself? And it was just like Holy Spirit conviction of, okay, wow. Yeah. um, Guess how my prayers changed from that point forward. Instead of saying, Lord, make my spouse better, it's how about, Lord, make me better for my spouse. Because I want them to change not on my behalf, I want them to change on your behalf. I want them to change so that they look more like you for their sake, not for my sake. But how often do we go to the Lord and and say things like that? Like, oh God, they're they're hurting. They hurt me today. He said this, that offended me. Lord, convict his heart. Convict his heart, Lord. Convict his heart. And why are you praying that? What is the, again, the motive, the purpose of that? It's for you. It's not for your spouse. It's for you to make you feel better. Versus what if we prayed like this? Lord, thank you for my for my spouse Thank you that we are in holy covenant with you together in an Ephesians 5 marriage. Thank you, Lord, that your will for my marriage is to exemplify Ephesians 5. Lord, even if the circumstances around me don't look like that right now, I know that's your will for this marriage because it says so in your word. And Father, I just give you so much praise for that. I thank you, God, that your word will never return void, that your word will never return void, and that your word says that through my godly conduct as a wife, I can actually win my husband. Like, what if we prayed like that? What if we prayed because we know our spouse is suffering because hurt people hurt people, right? So if your spouse is going off, instead of taking it personally and making it about you, what if your heart broke for them because you can recognize that they're being tormented and you cried and you petitioned to the Lord and you said, Father, 
You're faithful to complete the good work that you start in your people. Your word says that. So I thank you that you're going to complete this work in my spouse. I thank you that you are the good shepherd and that your sheep know your voice. Lord, I pray that you would speak to him today. I pray that you would renew his mind in the truth so that he be not conformed by this world or by his circumstances. Because Lord, I know it's not your will for him to suffer because you took all the suffering on the cross on his behalf. Thank you, God, for your sacrifice for my husband. Thank you how much you love him. Like, what if we prayed like that instead of, God, make them better. They hurt my feelings today. So, yeah, I mean, so what if we did that? Like, what if we prayed in thanks for the opportunity to produce fruit of the Holy Spirit in the workplace instead of praying to be treated better in the workplace? What if we prayed for our spouse out of mercy and love and not for our spouse to change because it makes our life easier? What if we were praying prayers to transform us rather than to serve us? And look, I'm not saying that it's wrong to come to your father in heaven and to seek his face and to ask for things, right? Because we're told in John 15, seven, that if we abide in him, we can ask whatever we wish and it will be given to us. But that's the thing, right? It's contingent on the, if we abide in him part, the we can ask whatever we wish and it will be given is contingent on if we abide in him. It's not just we pray a prayer and get what we want. It's we're abiding in the Lord and thus we know his will. And so we receive the inheritance from his will. The more we look like him from abiding in him, because that's how it works, right? You don't pray for you. You pray for God. You don't pray to be served by God. You pray to serve God. You don't pray to get from him. You pray to look like him. And a lot of the times we're praying, we think we're praying, but what we're really doing is complaining because we aren't seeking to rejoice in him. Right? We're, we're seeking to just get. We're seeking to be served rather than to serve. When we pray to receive from God rather than to simply receive him, we've got our prayers all wrong. Because those kinds of prayers, those complaints, those demands, those wish lists, they're self-serving rather than God honoring because prayer is about relationship to God. Prayer is about, like it just said in John 15, seven, prayer is about abiding in him. It's about abiding in him. So I want to bring up another verse here. So this one says, when you pray, Sorry, my husband's not here tonight, so it's just me figuring this out. When you pray, go into your room, 
and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you, right? Will reward you. So this is why prayer is so often referred to as the secret place. You've heard me say that a lot. You hear other people say that a lot because it's a place where it's just you and your father. It's your place of, of intimacy. It's where your relationship is fostered. It's where you pursue him. It's, it's the, it's the pursuit of the relationship. Go to your father, go be with him. And I just want to, I just want you to think about this for a minute. How imagine Jesus, right? Imagine Jesus waiting for you in the secret place every day, whatever that means to you, whatever that looks like for you, just imagine him waiting for you. Think, think about it as an appointment. He has an appointment set up with you and you just ghost him because eh, you woke up too late or you'd rather watch TV or I don't know, you would rather do something, anything else, scroll through Instagram, watch this YouTube video. I'm great at giving myself press, but just think about it. Like how often do you stand up God? How often do you leave him in the secret place and you don't go into that room and close the door behind you and meet him in secret there. How often does that happen? He's waiting for us in the secret place and we don't go to meet him. He's waiting for us in the secret place and it's just collecting dust. And then what happens? And then we wonder why we're struggling. We don't pursue our relationship with God. We don't seek his face. And then we wonder why we can't hear his voice. Right? This is, this is like real stuff that Christians go through. We struggle and yet we don't make time for God. We can't figure out why we keep falling into this sin or that sin or why the enemy's attacking here or there, but we don't make time for God. We make excuses in place of God. And then you'll just say, I don't know. I just feel like he's not answering my prayers right now. I'm just, I'm just in an Egypt season. It's like, are you, are you really in an Egypt season or have you just left God in the secret place and you haven't went to pursue him and there's cobwebs in there? Or I don't know. I, why don't I have the joy of the Lord? I don't know. How often are you in the comment section instead of the secret place? Like these are, I'm not trying to be mean. Like this is just real stuff that goes on because the devil wants to distract us from the secret place because that's where we abide. That's where we learn how to abide. That's what it says in the word. That's where our relationship to God is fostered and nurtured and developed and incubated and treasured and we stand him up because we let the excuses be greater than the pursuit. But the thing is, when you get to know him, when you get to know God, when you abide in him, y'all, your life actually begins to change. And it's not because he's a genie. It's not because he's Santa Claus and he grants you every wish off your wish list. 
It's not because he is a server in a restaurant that walks by your table. You ask for ranch, like I said, like it's because he is truth. When you abide in him, your life begins to change because he himself is truth. And see, the scripture says it is the truth that sets you free. So it's not the prayers that set you free. It's not the answer to the prayers that set you free. It's truth that sets you free. And Jesus is truth. So the point of prayer is to abide in him, to abide in God, because when we abide in him, we abide in truth. And so we're set free. And being set free by that truth only comes from knowing him intimately. That's how you abide. Abide is to live in, to be. So the point of prayer is not to have them answered. Your prayer life is to develop your relationship to God so that you may abide in truth because the truth sets you free. So you can't let other things take the place of knowing him. You can't let anything else stand in the place of your secret place. And for the record, church is not the secret place. You know, your weekly service, your church attendance, that's great, but it's not the secret place. It doesn't take it doesn't take up the intimacy. It's a different form of obedience. It's a different form of worship. It's not fostering your relationship one-on-one, closing the door behind you and just making time him and God, the same way you would make time for your child or for your spouse or for your friend. You make time for the Lord. In fact, you should be making more time for the Lord than anyone else, right? And YouTube is not the secret place. Like how often do you seek out videos like mine or someone else, right? How to pray rather than just going to pray. Like your Google search, how do I pray? How do I get to know God more? How about you just go into your room and you shut the door? Like we, like I said, we overcomplicate stuff so much. We overcomplicate this stuff when it's, it's simple. It's, it's abiding in, it's abiding in. So look, knowing about God is not your secret place. Knowing God is your secret place. And when you're meeting him in the secret place, when you're pursuing that intimacy, when you're abiding in that truth, you are set free. And what does it mean to be set free in truth? Here, 1 John 4, 16. We have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. So that must mean abiding in God, being set free in truth means that we thus abide in love because we know God and have been set free in the truth that he is love. So all those things in Philippians that we covered moments ago, all those things that we're told to think about in prayer, to meditate on, those things that are pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and praiseworthy, etc., 
all those things, they suddenly seem a lot more attainable, right? Because we're abiding in love already. And with that, we suddenly have this knowing, we have this awareness that our prayer life is to be intended as so much more than just a list of complaints. Our prayer life is intended to be so much more than why is this happening or why is that happening, right? Our prayer life is intended to be so much more than coming to God weekly with the list of things that we want or our struggles or our worry or our doubt. No, our prayer life, it becomes love. It becomes love because it becomes about him and not about us. It becomes about loving our neighbor as ourselves. So maybe we actually start praying for other people instead of making our prayers all about us, right? How often are we guilty of that as well? And we just get stuck in this pattern of praying for me, praying for me, praying for me, praying for me, praying for my spouse, praying for my kid, praying for me, 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 me. Like love thy neighbor. If you're abiding in love, if you're abiding in truth, you've already been set free. And so why do all your prayers always have to be about you? Why aren't you spending all that time? Not all of it, but you know what I mean? Why aren't you spending that time praying for somebody else, petitioning for the unsaved people in your life? If my best friend didn't pray for me, what prayer would God have had to answer? of my salvation. If I didn't pray on behalf of my fiance, or because he was my fiance at the time, he's now my husband. If I didn't pray on behalf of him, what prayer would God have had to answer? We don't pray for our neighbor next door. Who is? We don't pray for Taylor Swift who is, right? So think about celebrities, who prays for them? So busy giving them praise, we don't give them prayers. So my point is that maybe we would start praying for our boss that we were complaining about a week ago and asking God why he lets them treat us this way. You know, maybe you would start praying to become love demonstrated towards your spouse instead of praying that they would treat you right. Because of 1 John 4, right? If you know God, you're going to walk in love. The whole goal of instruction, not just here, but all throughout scripture is love. It's to love as he is love, to walk in light as he is light. So we have to know him in order to live that. The goal cannot be doing more things in his name. The goal has to be knowing him more. To know him right? So don't get caught up in this habit of praying because of trouble. Instead, get in the habit of praying because of promise. Don't pray with concern. Be anxious for nothing, right? Pray with belief because we don't know him by our self-concerned complaints. We know him by our belief in his love. And just think about complaining for a minute how often we get caught up in complaints, you know? And then compare that to the Israelites who complained for 40 years. They didn't have to suffer that long, but why did they? Because of their complaints. 
They complained in the wilderness. They did not rejoice in the wilderness. They complained. And then Jesus in the same wilderness for just 40 days. Why? Because instead of holding fast to the complaints, he held fast to the promise of his father. And so he he totally crushed the devil, right? He overcame. But when you complain, you notice how you always stay stuck? Think about it. Think about all the times you find yourself in a heart posture of complaints. It becomes 40 years instead of 40 days, doesn't it? And it's because complaining is not of the kingdom. There is nothing that empowers the devil more than your complaints. There is nothing that empowers the devil more than your complaints to God. And there is nothing that dislodges the devil more than your praise of God. You know, we say, God, why are you letting this happen? And then we call that a prayer. Like he's not letting it happen. You're positioning yourself for it. I once heard, um, I once heard Dan Moeller say that, this is like over the summer, I heard the sermon where he said, prayers like that don't make it past the drywall. And that hit me because the thing is, he's right, you know? The Bible actually tells us that those complaints that we call prayers don't yield any result. And I'll show you. We have here James 4.3. You ask and you do not receive. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And then Psalm uh, 66, 18. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. So those verses, those verses come back to the attitude, the motive, purpose, and expression of prayer that we already talked about. And what it really comes down to, my friends, is this. If you want life-producing answers to your prayer, you have to petition life-producing prayers. Okay, now there's a few things to that point that I want to address before I talk about a few different forms of prayer. And someone said in the chat, you can be real with God, though. Just look at David in the Psalms. Yeah, look at David in the Psalms. Great example. He always says, even though you're greater, even though this is happening, you're greater. He always exalts God above whatever it is he's going through. He always puts the promise above the circumstance. He doesn't complain. He petitions. And there's a big difference. So we can't always just use David. We can't always just use the Psalms to justify why we want to be miserable. Because if you really read those Psalms, that's not what it's about at all. David's is always, even though, but, even though, but, even though, but. It's about overcoming. The Psalms are all about overcoming. This is what my situation looks like, but I'm going to choose to believe you instead, Lord. Thank you, because your name is good. You're always good. That's what it's about. Now, I want to, um, I want to address a few things um, before I talk about 
different forms of prayer and then we'll move into worship. One is, although I'm speaking on all of this, I want to say, don't get legalistic about your prayer life because remember, it's about relationship. It's not about regimen, okay? Relationship, not regimen. It's about making the time, not a specific time. So don't get caught up in this legalistic thing where it's like, all right, I'm gonna commit to eight o'clock every morning and then you wake it, you wake up at 8.30 and it's like, well, okay, I missed it today. No, you don't get like that. It's, it's, it's we're not prioritizing the routine over the rejoicing kind of thing. Prayer is just making yourself available to God, right? Your secret place doesn't always have to be your literal closet or your bedroom with the door closed behind you. Like it says in the scripture, like it can literally be your closed car door, right? It can be your desk at work. Don't be like, well, I'll, I'll pray later. You know, if there's a moment that hits you where you're like, I could pray right now. Well, I, I, it has to look this certain way. I have to be in this spot. It has to be at this time. I'll save it for later. No, pray right now. So don't get legalistic about your prayers. Don't put regimen over relationship, okay? You can pray anywhere. We're told to pray without ceasing. That means quite literally without ceasing, like you never stop praying. And then the second point to that is don't get self-conscious when you pray, okay? I don't want anything that I'm saying to be about getting self-conscious about the words that are coming out of your mouth. It's not about like getting in there and reciting scripture. It's the, like I said, it's the attitude, it's the motive, it's the purpose and the expression that matters. So it's the heart posture that matters, not what it sounds like. Don't listen to all of what I'm saying and be like, oh, well, I have to start writing my prayers like poetry. Like that's not what I'm saying. It's the attitude, motive, purpose, and expression, right? Matthew 6, 5, even Jesus tells us, don't pray like the hypocrites, right? They just basically get up to pray and let themselves be heard. So all that said, like none of this is to make you feel insecure in your prayer life or to condemn you for your prayer life. On the contrary, the purpose of this is to empower you in your prayer life. Just like parts one through four, right, of the Spiritual Warfare series, part five here is no exception. It's about becoming what he paid for and walking by faith that we have indeed become that. And as your sister in Christ, I just want to encourage your intimacy with God. I want to encourage your faith. I want to encourage your fortitude. Your faith means more to me than your feelings. Your faith means more to me than your feelings. Your revelation and knowing of what he did for you on that cross means more to me than whatever circumstance or season you're in right now. Because those circumstances and these seasons are temporary, but his promises of the cross and of producing new life in you is eternal. And it's not just for then in heaven, it's for now. New life now in you. Him made alive in you now. So there's not a right or wrong way to pray the prayer itself. That's not what I'm saying. There's just a right or wrong belief behind the prayer, right? Which ultimately just comes to believing him or not. It's that motive, attitude, purpose, and expression. Okay, so don't hear what I'm not saying. And then three, we're told to pray without ceasing. So that means praying all the time, like I mentioned already. 
And if the purpose of prayer is to deepen our intimacy with him, why would we cease, right? And so with that, I want to say pray when you don't feel like it, because there are going to be times when you don't feel like it. So that's actually when you need to especially lean into your prayers. You especially lean in in the moments when you don't feel like it, because there's always going to be an excuse from the enemy. He'll say something like, well, it's not going to get answered anyway, or just do it later. Or I, I don't know. You know, there's always going to be a reason. When you don't feel like it, that's when you have to press in. Because again, it's not about your feelings. It's about your faith. And prayer is no exception to that. The enemy loves when we don't pray because of everything we've already talked about, right? Prayer is intimacy with God. The enemy has the upper hand in our life when we neglect that. And then one more thing I want to say because it's a testimony. When you wake up in the middle of the night, pray. Especially when you think you're being attacked. Okay, this is something I started doing when I would wake up and I would feel like it was like the devil or a demon trying to bother me. You know what? Turn the tables. Get up, walk around the house, start praying. Pray without ceasing. Pray with rejoice. Say, instead of saying like, oh, the devil woke me up, I rebuke this attack, say, Lord, thank you for waking me up because you wanted to pursue this time with me. You will make the devil cringe and he will go away. Those demons will flee because you're submitting to God. That's what the scripture says. Submit to God, the devil will flee. When you wake up in the middle of the night, start praying. It flips the script like that. I'm telling you, it flips the script like that. And then finally, prayer is not a feeling, it's a knowing. So it's not always about like goosebumps or these powerful manifestations of Holy Spirit, which like that happens. I'm not saying it doesn't happen or it can't happen or it shouldn't happen. I'm saying that's not the purpose. Right? Last night I was praying and Holy Spirit came over me and I was flooded and I just started weeping and weeping and weeping. But it's not like that all the time. And we serve an experiential God, yes, but our relationship with God is not defined by those experiences. It's defined by our faith and our intimacy that comes from that faith. And honestly, the faith produces the experiences, honestly, a lot of the time. But overall, prayer is not a feeling. It's a knowing we walk by faith and not by sight, remember. So your prayer is just about belief. You know, you don't have to feel even like you mean it in the moment. You just have to believe him. Just believe him. It's not about you. It's about him. Pray in spite of how you feel. Pray when you are grumpy. Pray when you feel offended. Pray when you just don't want to. Just do it. Because the only one that doesn't want you to pray is the devil. God, like I said already, he's always waiting for you in the secret place. So don't stand him up. Don't stand him up. And then get back to that Philippians 4 verse. Rejoice, supplication, thanksgiving, no anxiety. Think on things that are lovely, pure, commendable, excellent, praiseworthy. Just believe God. Your prayers need to be about believing God. They're not about you. So before we move on to the worship component, um, 
And we talk about fasting and communion and fellowship, just like different facets of prayer. So first we have fasting. So why do we fast? Many reasons. For one, fasting crucifies the flesh. Fasting really trains us to crucify our flesh. Fasting trains us to yield to the spirit because the the scripture says that the spirit is always willing, even when the flesh is weak. So fasting teaches you to recognize those times where you're at the crossroad of flesh or, or spirit, because by fasting, you suppress, if you want to think about it like this, right? These two hands, you suppress the flesh and the spirit grows. Right. So that's what fasting does. It trains the spirit to grow so that the flesh is small. Whereas if you don't fast, the flesh stays here, kind of parallel to the spirit. And eh, maybe the spirit kind of starts to even dwindle a little bit. And you know when else the spirit starts to dwindle? When you get convicted to fast and you don't because you're obeying the flesh. If Holy Spirit makes it clear that you need to fast, and you ignore that, well, guess what? You're not walking by the spirit, so you're actually quenching the spirit, which is the complete antithesis of what fasting does. Fasting abides in the spirit. Ignoring the convictions abides in the flesh. So we fast because it teaches us to walk in the spirit. Psalm 69 10 says fasting humbles the soul. It humbles the soul, right? Because we know we as humans, we are body, soul, and spirit. Okay. So it humbles that filter between the spirit and the body, which is the soul. So it humbles that part of us. So this way, the spirit moves through the soul. And then again, this is how we walk by the spirit because the spirit moves through the soul that is now humble and gets into the flesh. And we are overpowered by the spirit instead of the flesh, right? Because it's not the filter of the, the, the flesh moving through the soul into the spirit. It's the filter of the spirit moving through the soul into the flesh. That's what fasting does. And of course, you're hungry when you fast, right? So it, it, it trains you to interpret that as hunger for God. It's hunger for God. So during your normal meal times, what do you do instead? You feed on the word. That's the point of fasting. You don't just fast to fast. You fast to feed on the word. You drop to your knees. Those moments where you get that pang of hunger, you drop and you just start giving him praise, giving him thanks, Praying without ceasing, right? And then fasting is also a non-negotiable in Christianity. The scriptures don't give us an option to fast. The scriptures lay out kind of the parameters of when we fast, right? It's a when thing, not an if thing. And if you remember back in the repentance episode of this series, I talked about how the church treats sin as a when rather than an if, even though the Bible treats sin as a newborn, as a, a new creation in Christ, as a believer in Christ, the Bible treats sin as a if rather than a when. 
and yet the church by and large treats sin as a when rather than an if and then treats fasting as an if rather than a when and then the bible treats it the op like they get them the opposite but fasting is the when fasting is the when it's not an if thing it's not a, it's a, not an option fasting is a command and jesus says if we love him we will keep his commands and they will not be burdensome so to that point don't complain when you fast this is how we are told to fast actually um let me bring up the verse here so it's matthew 6 verses 14 through 18 where it says, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So fasting is not something we do to brag about the fact that we're fasting or put it all over the internet like oh i just completed my fast which i did before i knew the scripture my first fast um because that's a that's a boast in your works and that's not the point of fasting the point of fasting is to satiate the hunger with the with the word with the lord with the intimacy to to deepen the intimacy right? Works is what you do for man. Legalism is what you do for man. Holiness is what you do for God. In my experience, every time that I have fasted has been amazing. And I can't fast right now because I'm pregnant. I miss it so much. Y'all go fast on my behalf because dang, that intimacy, that, that deepening with the Lord, fasting is such a powerful form of prayer and i cannot recommend it enough i cannot recommend it enough also the bible says that certain demons only come out by fasting so if you feel like you're struggling with demonic excuse me it, it's the it's the pregnancy if you feel like you're struggling with demonic oppression you very well may need to fast because jesus himself says oh this kind only comes out with fasting okay so communion let's talk about communion i need some water fasting and communion go hand in hand in the sense that you know these aren't things that we do for relationship or i'm sorry for religion we don't do fast or communion for show we don't do it because we're supposed to we do it because we get to because that's what relationships are it's not a have to it's a get to Fasting and communion are things we do for relationship. So communion should not just be one of those things you do mindlessly, right? Like, oh, you're just at church, you're taking communion today, right? No, no. Actually, scripture is very clear that when you take communion mindlessly, you can actually get a curse from that because it says that if you receive communion in a way that's not worthy of him, you, you gotta be careful with that. So it's not just like a mindless thing that you just do to do, or you do because you think you have to. It's, it's a time to really examine the significance of it, a time to really come before the Lord, 
Maybe you have to repent for something. Communion is not something to be taken lightly, but it is something that we should pursue because of the weight and the significance of it. Okay? We take communion for him, just like we do everything else. It's for God. He gave it all, and so we should give it all, right? Say, Lord, the way you gave your body, I want to give mine back, right? Take part in what his flesh means and what he gave and follow him. You don't take communion and then go to the club. You take communion and then pick up your cross. You don't take communion in the morning and then leave a nasty Instagram comment at night talking to my audience. You take communion and you walk in the light as he is the light, okay? Matthew 26, verses 26 through 28 says, now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So again, this is not something that we take lightly. Okay, what communion represents, what it is, it's what he paid for. He paid for us to literally eat his body and drink of his blood. Why? So that he would live within us. This isn't just something you do. This is something you say, Lord, as you gave all, I'm giving you all. And it comes back to everything else, right? It's a faith thing. Obviously, the bread isn't actually his body. You know, Catholics will get mad if I say that. And the and the wine's not, or the, and the grape juice is not, let's be honest, it's always grape juice. The grape juice isn't really his blood, but it's what happens in that prayer? What happens in that faith comes back to your motives, right? And again, you really got to examine your heart when you take communion. In fact, maybe we can all take it together tonight. Maybe we can do do it all tonight together. Um, not, I don't know if I have any communion cups. I'll have to. That would be fun. Maybe we could do that. I'll have to text my husband. Um, I love communion. I love taking communion. And um, yeah, I was actually given a very distinct instruction from the Lord that I, myself and my husband, we are to take communion when I go into labor. I'm really excited for that. So anyway, just a little caveat. Finally, fellowship. This is like the last component of prayer, fasting, um, communion, and then fellowship. The word tells us that where two or more are gathered in his name, he is there in the midst, right? So when you're with another believer, brother or sister in Christ, and you're praying together, you're doing Bible study together, you're giving him glory, he's there with you. That's why fellowship is so important. That's why the enemy wants to isolate you. That's why the enemy will say, mm, you know what? It actually sounds a lot better to sit on your couch and watch Netflix tonight than it does to go to the discipleship group 
over at XYZ's house. Hmm, yeah. Even though I never actually regret going to these things because I always get full because I'm indulging in the spirit surrounded by other believers where two or more are, there he is. I never regret it, but you know what? I want to watch Netflix tonight. That's what the enemy does. He doesn't want you with the body of Christ. He doesn't want you with the body of Christ because if you're alone, he has a better chance of getting in your head that way. And you know, fellowship is so important to the Lord. Think about how Jesus could have done everything on his own very easily, but he chose 12 disciples to have with him. Like he chose to set that example for us. And he told us to follow him. So if we're supposed to follow him and he had constant fellowship as a perfect sinless man that never needed fellowship, what do you think we're supposed to have? I'd say fellowship. So pray with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, we're also commanded in scripture not only to confess our sins to one another, but to pray for one another. And why? Well, because it says that when we pray for one another, we are healed. So there's actual healing promised when we pray for our brothers and sisters in the faith. You know, that can be laying on hands or that can just be praying over them. That could be praying deliverance over them. That could be praying anything. We're promised to be healed when we pray for each other in the word of God, which never returns void. It's so important to have fellowship. And if you don't have fellowship, I want to say something. It's God's will for you to have fellowship. So those are one of the requests that you can take before the Lord and say, thank you. Let's say, Lord, why don't I have friends? God, why am I so alone? Why do other people have that? And I don't, why, why, why me? Why me? No, say, Lord, thank you that it's your will for me to have fellowship. Father, I pray that you would bring those people into my life, those people into my life that are of your will for me to fellowship with. The people that you want me to pray with, Lord, I pray that you would bring them to me. And thank you. Thank you that your word says that I can ask this and receive it. Thank you that it's already done. You pray like you've already received it. That's rejoicing, right? Let's get back to that Philippians, that Philippian scripture. It's rejoicing. It's being anxious for nothing. It's not saying, God, will I ever have friends? Will I ever have fellowship? Why do they have a why don't know? Be anxious for nothing. Rejoice, thanksgiving, supplication, humble yourself. Lord, thank you that your will for me is to have fellowship. Because your word says that when I pray for my brothers and sisters, they are healed. And when they pray for me, I am healed. And his will is always healing. Okay. So just want to share that prayer is a weapon of warfare. Let's move into now worship. And then we will close out this wonderful series. Um, what do you all think so far in the chat? Sorry, I'm adjusting my pregnancy pantaloons. I'm taking another sip of water. Did you enjoy the first portion of that about prayer? Um, I pray that I pray that it was helpful. So now worship, okay? 
Worship is wonderful warfare. Um, and we even see in Second Chronicles that worship, which, uh, by the way, when I say worship, I mean song and praise particularly. You know, worship comes in many forms, but that's what I'm talking about here is song and praise. And we see that in Second Chronicles that song and praise, it's not just spiritual warfare, it's actual physical warfare, right? The scripture says that the Lord sent an ambush against those who rose against Judah once they started singing praise. How cool is that? So imagine what happens in the spirit when we start singing praise. If that's what the Lord did in the physical, imagine what praise and songs of worship do in the spiritual. It says it's an ambush. Worship is an ambush against the enemy. So when he attacks, attack back with worship. All right, let me bring up a verse here. Um, there we go. Psalm 27, six says, and now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hallelujah. Um, yeah, worship was David's mighty weapon. The enemy doesn't know how to fight against it. Someone in the chat said that. I can't take credit for that. That is so good. I love worship for that reason. It is a mighty weapon. Isaiah 61.3 says specifically that putting on the garment of praise removes the spirit of heaviness. So you know those times when you can just really feel the enemy all over you? Sing some worship, man. Get up off your feet. Raise your hands. Great are you, Lord. I can't sing. But my voice is a delight to God, even if it's not a delight to you or to me, okay? That's just the truth. Great are you, Lord. <laughs> I'm sorry. My viewership's going to go down like 50%. But seriously, like when you have that feeling when the enemy is just like closing in, just get up and start worshiping in spite of that, even if you don't feel like it, especially if you don't feel like it. Again, it's faith. You have faith that the worship is warfare. You have faith that the worship, like it says in Second Chronicles, is an ambush to the enemy. It's an ambush. Even if you feel so grumpy and miserable that you just don't want to. You're like, no, I don't want to sing worship right now. I don't want to raise my hands. I don't know. Do it. Okay, do it. Because that's the spirit of heaviness. But guess what? As soon as you put on that garment of praise, gone. Bye, heaviness. Because the word promises that. Isaiah 61.3 promises that. I love worship. Worship is, is, it's amazing. There have been so many times where I have felt under spiritual attack and, you know, I've prayed and maybe it hasn't lifted yet. That heaviness is still there. I just start praising, just start singing, put on a playlist, right? Make a little playlist on your phone, like the, maybe the warfare playlist, like the shouts of, I have all these different sorts of playlists and I don't have Spotify, so I can't share it. I'm sorry. 
I think I'll switch over to Spotify soon. I'm still in the Apple Music realm. Anyway, just sing. Just get up and start singing. Put on your favorite worship song and just sing. Sing sing it out. David, all, all he talks about is praise. All he talks about is singing, lifting the Lord's name high. We will shout praise. We will sing praise. Praise is ambushing the enemy. Worship is ambushing the enemy. Now, I want to talk about this for just a minute. It's kind of like a sidebar to the conversation, but it's been on my heart for a while to talk about this because I know we tend to get really legalistic in the body of Christ um, about worship music particularly, right? Like there's, there's camps that think it's hymns only, and then there's camps that think we can't dance even though there's so much scripture that supports loud music and dancing. So we get really legalistic about this kind of thing. And, you know, I, I always find it interesting that the people that get so legalistic about worship music are the same people that cuss. They're the same people that want to watch all the worldly shows, right? Even, you know, I don't want to throw her under the bus because she's a baby Christian. So that's not what I'm doing. I'm not condemning her and I'm, I'm making an observation, right? And I'm on her side. I think she's a, I think she's, I do think she's sold out for the Lord, even if she has sanctification to go through, right? So Kat Von D, if you watched her interview with Allie Beth Stuckey, there's one part in that interview where she says, you know, I don't want my worship to look like a concert, right? I prefer the traditional hymns. I don't, I don't need any lights. I don't need any loud music. None of that. Okay. There's nothing innately wrong with that. You know, if you like the slower hymn-like music, that's beautiful. That's awesome. But there was something really interesting about her saying that, that I observed, and that's that she still makes, first of all, makes worldly music. And that too, in that interview with Ali Beth Stuckey, she talked about how she wanted to, you know, she was asking Ali Beth, is it wrong to listen to worldly music? So she's saying she doesn't want the concert in her worship, right? She doesn't want all the extra stuff in her worship, but she still wants it right? Because there's something within us as human beings, like we're musical beings, like the Lord made us this way to worship. Music is worship. In any capacity, music is worship. So those people that tend to get really legalistic about that, I don't want the lights, I don't want the smoke show. And like, you don't need lights or a smoke show. That's, I'm not saying that's necessary, but it's like the people that kind of write that stuff off or think it's too much, they still want it and they're getting it elsewhere they still want it elsewhere. So my thing with that is, look, y'all, music had a massive stronghold on me when I was in the world. Even after I came to Christ, there was a lot of stuff I needed deliverance for. There was a lot of stuff I had to get sanctified through. Y'all, I literally needed deliverance from Taylor Swift. Like I manifested, <laughs> I'm not kidding. Because there's spirits behind the music. You have to remember that, right? Because music is so much more than physical stuff. I have a whole episode on the music industry as satanic. You should go listen to that. Anyway, sidebar. My point is, music is spiritual, okay? When I was in the world, I used to say the band All Time Low saved my life. If you're like in my age group, maybe you know who All Time Low is. Pop punk band. 
I loved them from the time that I was 13 until what, like a year ago. Thought that would never go away. I used to say they saved my life. Their music was everything to me. Y'all, I went so hard. I went so hard for that band in the crowds, at the concerts. I went so hard. And you know, I found myself maybe like a month or two ago. It was at like just a, like a local church event. And uh, they're playing worship music. And it's that song that says like, he picked me up. He turned me around. He placed my feet on solid ground. I thank the master. I thank the savior. I thank God. So anyway, they're playing that song and it was all like, woo, like alive. And I'm just like, I start like, I'm just like into it. I'm just, and I had this like flashback of like, I used to do this for all time low, except of course I was drunk. And of course it was like an escape, right? It was, it was a, it was praising the band because I was trying to escape how miserable I was. I used to go to those shows because it was a way for me to just feel something. And I had to give praise to the band. I had to worship them with everything that I had, sing the loud praise in order to feel alive. In that environment at church, I'm just praising because I'm genuinely like, he picked me up, he turned me around, he put my feet on solid ground. Like, I thank the master, I thank the savior, I thank God, and I'm just like so excited for Jesus. And I'm thinking to myself, like, why do people think this is wrong? Like, why is it acceptable to go so hard for the devil, but then you want to dance and shout and praise and give glory and sweat and like get excited for God and that's wrong? Like, I'm pretty sure Jesus's only requirements, it says he must be praised in, in truth. So yes, it has to be true, but it doesn't say that we can't dance and, and have fun for God. Like, I just don't understand how we got so legalistic about this. You know what I mean? I, I, we got so legalistic about this. And again, you have to remember that the devil is a copycat. It's all counterfeit. Those secular musical environments, those concerts, the devil didn't create that kind of atmosphere and structure for people to worship him. That belongs to God and it was corrupted. Stop giving the devil so much dang credit. Like he can just create all of this. Like he has all this power. He takes from God. He takes what belongs to God. That structure, that kind of worship, that kind of praise, that like dancing and going in. And if anyone just tunes in right now, they think I'm nuts, but like that like going in for the Lord, like that belongs to the Lord. That belongs to the Lord. The devil's the one that stole it. Stop shaming people because they like to dance in church. Like, how did we get here where we shame people for dancing in church? And you know what? That's how you know that worship is warfare because we have the body of Christ bickering over it. We have the body of Christ creating discord amongst brethren over how our worship looks. So you know it's powerful, right? In whatever capacity. Sometimes my worship does look like me flat on my face on the floor, just weeping and just singing along like, 
I want more of you, Lord. It's <laughs> my like I look so crazy in this episode, but that like sometimes that is my worship. Sometimes it is the slower hymns. Sometimes it is the the older classical traditional stuff. And then sometimes it's that other song I was just singing, right? He picked me up. He turned me around. Like it's it's it, it it's both. In, in Acts, they talk about singing hymns sometimes. In Psalms, he talks about banging loud drums and, and, and singing loud praise and dancing. Like, it's both. It's both and. And it's okay. Like, I just wish we would stop fighting with each other about if we like to dance when we worship the Lord and just be love as he is love, right? If the fruit of that person's life is good, then what do you care if they like to dance and and sing loud and maybe they break a sweat when they worship? What do you care if the fruit of their life is good? Because the Lord sees the heart. Remember, it goes back to what we talked about in the prayer segment, the motive, the purpose, right? And so it's just that, yeah, we have like someone just sent the chat. We have a much bigger enemy than the body of Christ celebrating through worship. But again, that's how you know it's powerful because the enemy uses means of worship for the body of Christ to breed discord amongst each other. And like I said, I went so hard in the world. I went so hard for all time law. I went so hard for the devil. I like to go hard for God when I worship sometimes. And you're not gonna, you can't take that from me. Like you can't take my relationship from God from me because you wanna judge it. I'm sorry. I'm sold out to this guy. I'm sold out to Christ. You can't take it from me. I'm going to worship him. I'm going to give him praise. He gave me new life. You better believe I'm going to dance about it. He made me brand new. That makes me sweat sometimes, even on the live stream, okay? He made me new. I'm going to go to war for him by dancing and praising and, and giving him thanks because he's worthy of that. He's worthy of my worship. I don't have to filter myself for the Lord. I can just praise him. So let's not get legalistic about worship. And again, yes, we worship him in, in spirit and in truth. I'm not saying go put on like, I don't know, God is a woman by Ariana Grande and, and sing that and give him praise. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying yeah, the music should be biblical. So there's a lot of discrepancy I know with like Beth, Bethel and Elevation and um, what's the other one? Bethel, Elevation and Hillsong, right? I know. And I've heard songs by them that are biblically sound and I've heard songs by them that aren't. At the end of the day, I'm going to use my discernment, listen to the ones that have sound doctrine and just leave the rest. You know, I don't think we should necessarily be following Bethel Hillsong or um, or Elevation Church. Um, although at the same time, I'm going to be honest, I don't know too much about all that all that drama because I don't spend my time the way a lot of others online spend their time, which is just trying to find things that I think are wrong with the body of Christ because I am far too consumed with just focusing on all that's right about Christ and trying to share that with, with all of y'all instead of what I think is wrong here and there and elsewhere. So I've done baseline 
research on those three groups. I know they get a bad rap. I've been warned about them from the beginning, but that's not my bag. That's not my niche. I'm sure there's other YouTubers. If you feel like going down those rabbit holes, you can find information about ultimately my point in sharing is there have been songs I've heard that are biblical. There have been songs I've heard that aren't either way. I know the word, I know my Lord so I can discern and kind of sift through what's good and what's not. And of course you want to look at the fruit. Of course, right? Of course you want to look at the fruit. He's to be worshiped in spirit and in truth. I'm not saying throw that away. I'm saying embrace that. And then don't get legalistic about people that embrace that with song and dance and loud praise. So long way around the barn, long kind of tangent there. Worship is warfare. Scripture's clear about it. So worship. And I want to say, don't let worship take the place of prayer. And when you're worshiping, think about the lyrics, like the things that you're actually singing. And do you believe those things? Like, do you really believe it, right? You know, we, we sing like, I have resurrection power living on the inside. And it's fun in church. I have resurrection power living on the inside. Jesus, you have given us freedom. And then I walk out of church and I'm, oh, I'm just a sinner. I'm always going to struggle. Like y'all. Worship is mind renewal too. You got it. When you, when you sing these things, believe them. It's faith. Like everything else we've been talking about. It's faith. It's faith. Believe what you're singing. Believe those worship songs. It's the power of the words. They're declarations of faith, of truth. So don't just let worship be something that Stop laughing and be, I know I can't sing. God loves my voice anyway. You know what? I used to say that, because I used to be pretty vain. So I used to say when I was in the world, it's a shame I can't sing because I'm not half bad looking and I'm a dang good writer. So just kind of missing that last part. I used to think I could have been Taylor Swift and I probably could have been. Um, so I think that the Lord did not bless me with a beautiful singing voice by means of protection when I was in the world. Anyway, anyway, let worship be your lifestyle. So, <laughs> um, yeah, just kind of coming back, back to the point is that when, when you, when you feel that spirit of heaviness, when you feel that spirit of heaviness, Putting on the garment of praise makes it go away. So praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So we're kind of going to end the, um, yeah, we're going to kind of end the series on that high fun note, which is nice, right? It's, it's such a serious, like such a serious series, serious series. It's nice to kind of end on that, right? Um, so just in closing for just the spiritual warfare series in general, by the way, if you stayed through all of that, y'all, all my craziness and singing and all those things, thank you. <laughs> um, so closing out with the spiritual warfare series, alrighty. Um, the point of this whole series, this five-week installation, was about empowering your faith. 
Okay, I really wanted to do this because, look, I believe in deliverance. I've been delivered. I've experienced deliverance prayer. But we've pendulum swung in the body of Christ where everything is deliverance, everything's a demon. And then we have the other pendulum that goes over here where it's like nothing's a demon, right? When in fact, there's a biblical middle because that's the narrow road. And Proverbs says, don't go too far left or go too far right, but walk in the middle. And that's the prophecy of the narrow road Jesus speaks of. The truth is always somewhere in the narrow. And that's why we get so caught up in these debates on both ends, because there's actual truth on both ends. It's just that the totality of truth is in the narrow, in the center, in the unity that we can't find. And so that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to get to the narrow here and say, Sometimes it's a demon, but it's not always about casting out a demon. It's about casting out the log in your own eye, okay? And ultimately, the formula in Scripture is like, we get saved, we get delivered, we get healed, we renew our minds. So it's deliverance followed by the discipleship. So I really wanted to focus on the mind renewal here, on the faith, because if you're just going back for deliverance every week, you're not getting free because you still don't believe the truth. See, because scripture says truth sets you free. Truth. So it's faith. It's always your faith. Jesus even says when he casts out the demons in scripture, when he heals the sick, he always says it's your faith. So this was all about faith. I wanted to really just edify the body of Christ and exhort the body of Christ to know that your faith matters to the Lord. It says, in fact, in scripture that we cannot please God without our faith. We cannot please God without our faith. Our faith is contingent on our salvation even because we are saved by grace through what? Through faith. And now that we have this grace, we are empowered to live that way. And so I really just wanted to empower all of you. And I pray that that came through. I pray that this was all of love because that's where that's where my heart is it's just love it's just because when i really started believing god y'all like my life transformed because i recognized that he didn't just die to take me to heaven like he died to put heaven inside of me he died so that i could become what he paid for now that he wouldn't just help me get through life that he would actually live within me so that I could reveal him in the midst of life and so that I could actually produce that fruit and abide in the vine, truly abide in the vine. It's changed my walk, just my faith, my belief. It's not an intellectual gospel. It's a demonstrative gospel. And that's what gets the enemy most because I've said this a million times, the devil wants your faith. The devil wants your faith because if he has your faith, to some level, he has your allegiance. So your faith and your identity go hand in hand. You need to know your identity is in Christ. And your identity is something for you to walk out. Your identity is, what? what is your identity? It's something you are. It's something you, you live. So your identity is in Christ. And I just want to close out this series by saying, y'all, as far as attack goes, as far as spiritual warfare goes, 
Don't take things personally. Don't take things personal because it's not an attack against you. It's an attack against the kingdom of God. It's never about you. It's about the Lord. Demons aren't after you as a person. They are after you as an instrument and demonstration of God's kingdom. So don't take the attacks personally because that's how they compound. Because then it's not just the devil coming at you. It's also your flesh and the works of the flesh. And then that leaves no room for you to walk in the spirit. But when you walk in the spirit, you're recognizing this is just an attack on the kingdom of God because the enemy's mad because he knows he's a defeated foe. So they're going to act out. And they're going to throw their punches while they still can. They're going to fight the battle because they lost the war. They're going to they're going to continue this attack on the kingdom of God until the very last second when their time is up forever. So it's not about you. Don't take the attack personal. As soon as you take it personal, you've given him more than just a foothold. You've given him place. Continue to walk in the spirit by faith, remembering that it's not about you. It's about the Lord. It's about Jesus. It's about becoming what he paid for. Because when you look like him, Satan can't stand the sight of you. And when you submit to that image that you were restored to God, the father through Jesus's sacrifice and finished work on the cross, you submit to that, the devil will flee. That's what the word promises. So it's a demon war against the kingdom of God, not against you. I just want you to remember that because that way you can actually walk in the victory knowing it's already yours because Jesus paid for it. So hallelujah and amen. I pray that the series was everything that you needed. Um, That's what I pray every time I get on here. I pray, Lord, like you had a microphone. What do you want to say to your people? And, you know, I get a lot of, I get a lot of flack for it because I'm two years into the faith, but, you know, you can't measure relationship. You can't measure knowing him. I might not be a scholar with a 15 year degree or a bunch of letters next to my name. I don't have like an alphabet soup next to my name kind of thing. And I'm not shading that. I'm just being silly, but there's nothing wrong with that. That's commendable, but you can't take my relationship from me. You can't convince me that the words of that Bible aren't true through and through and through and that those promises are not yes and amen when it says in those pages that they are. You can't take this relationship from me. You can't take it from me. So you can listen and try and hear what's wrong with what I teach and you can say you should step down, you're not ready but you can't take the relationship and you can't take the love that I have for the body of Christ because I abide in him. So I love the body of Christ and I want to see them have that same faith. Whether they've been walking with the Lord for 10 years or 10 minutes, 
I want that faith in you because it's that faith that fortifies. It's that faith that the Bible says saves. So there it is. Um, if you want to hang out in the chat for a little bit, I'm going to. I just would like to close out the series in prayer. Um, don't leave. Y'all always leave when I say the prayer. <laughs> don't leave. We're going to hang out in the chat. I have some announcements, okay? So enticing with the announcements. I want to tell you about next week's episode. First, I just say, Father, I just thank you for relationship. I thank you, Lord, that you gave us your son, Jesus Christ, to be reconciled back to you. Lord, I thank you that you see us all here as your children, as literally blameless, because you see us through the lens of Jesus. He is our intercessor. He stands in place of what we deserved. He took the wrath so that we wouldn't have to. And now because of him and his sacrifice, you actually see us as spotless. And we are reconciled back to your image because of that, Lord. And so we just give you so much praise, honor, glory, and thanks. And we love you, Father. And we just praise you. We lift your name on high. We give all glory to your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you that you have placed your Holy Spirit inside of us. And that because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, we always have the ability to walk by him because your word says that the spirit is always willing. It's never by our own strength, Lord. In fact, we thank you that we could never do it alone. We thank you that we could never do it without you. Thank you for making it possible because of who you are in spite of who we were. And now that you have made us new. So we just thank you for the privilege and the honor and the blessing to walk in that new life. Not just in heaven, but right now. So we just thank you, Jesus. We love you. We pray all these things and all this thanks in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay. So, um, yeah. So it's like always like coming down after a prayer like that. Um, uh, so let's let's hang out in the in the live chat here. Let's hang out in the chat. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Heaven and Healing Podcast. I pray that you are blessed by it. Please do consider financially partnering with the ministry. Different ways to support the show are listed in the episode description. So be sure to check that out if you were fed today. Don't just dine and dash <laughs> and be sure to share this episode with a friend or family member that you feel could use it. Post it to your Instagram story and tag me so that I can personally thank you for supporting heaven and healing. If you are interested in hearing or watching the Q&A live chat that happens at the end of every live stream, you'll have to subscribe to heaven and healing podcast on YouTube to watch the rest of of the stream where we do that live Q&A at the end. Thank you all so much again and God bless.